And good morning. I want to welcome you. Welcome again to those of you joining us online. I'm Dion. I'm so glad to be here with you as we talk about this important topic, contentment. Contentment is something that we all seek after. It's something that we all long for. It's something that is so elusive to us. And, and what we're finding in this series is that, is that contentment can't be found just by going after contentment. It really is a result of other behaviors that we've been talking about in the series and that we're going to talk about continuing today. Uh, today specifically, though, we are going to wrestle with a question. It's an age-old question. And the question is this, is it really better to give than to receive? Is it really better to give than to receive? Now, if we ask this question on our Kahoot survey at the beginning, if we put that out to you and, you know, you have to say, you know, triangle for yes, diamond for no, is it really better to give than to receive? Here's what I know, that probably about 95% of you, 95% of you would say, yes, it is better to give than to receive. And, you know, 5% of you, you're just jaded, and, you know, that's on you. Um, is it really better to give and receive? 95% of you would say, yes, Here's, that's, I know that to be true. But, but the reality is, the reality is we would say that, but what we do in life brings that whole uh, belief into question. We say that it's better, but we don't always live as if it's better. I want you to look at one facet of this, charitable giving in particular. So um, in the U.S., in last year, 2014, $258 billion was given to charity by individual Americans, Okay, so this is not foundation charity, uh, you know, bequest. This is not um, corporate charity. This is by individual Americans, people like us, all Americans together. $258 billion last year given to charity. I mean, so you look at that number and you say, do we believe that it's better to give than receive? Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of money, $258 billion by individual Americans. But I want you to look at this. Um, Americans made somewhere around $7.8 trillion dollars. Now, this is actually a number from 2007, so it's probably even higher than that, which basically means that the difference here is about 3%. That even though this is a staggeringly high number compared to what we actually make, we're giving about 3% of our income away to charity. So if we say, yes, it's really better to give than to receive, then you would expect this number to be a lot higher. See, what this 3% number shows me is that we enjoy receiving a lot more than we enjoy giving, at least when it comes to charity. But what about in other parts of life? You know, charitable giving is only one side of, of this whole picture. What about other parts of life? Is it really better to give than to receive in your family? When it's the last piece of pizza, is it better to give than to receive? Or when that Halloween candy bowl has only one 100 grand candy bar left in it, and you know it's swimming in a sea of Smarties? Smarties. I mean, what a waste of sugar, right? When there's only that one candy bar left, is it better to give than to receive there? Is it better to give than to receive when you go out to eat and your service is so-so? Uh, is it better to give than to receive there? Or, or do you do tit for tat? If your service isn't great, are you like, hey, 8%? Is it better to give than to receive there? Or when you're talking about really big things, big sums of money, is it better to give than to receive when you're talking about an inheritance? It's getting real, isn't it? See, today we're going to dive right into our teaching from Jesus, and we're going to go to Luke chapter 12, and we're going to keep wrestling with this question, is it really better to give than to receive? And uh, if you want to right now, you can take a Bible out of the seat rack ahead of you. You can go to page uh, 1043, 
or you can take out your smartphone and go to uversion.com or the Bible app from uversion, or you can look along right up here on the screen as we dive into Luke chapter 12. A question that we're, or a situation that will help us further wrestle with this question, is it really better to give than to receive? So uh, here's the teaching. It starts off with an encounter out of the life of Jesus. It says, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, so he's He's teaching to crowds. People are coming after him. It's kind of chaos. But someone comes with a question, and they say, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge and arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So you're tracking so far the setup for this? Two guys are fighting, two grown men fighting over an inheritance, which, which just you know, breaks my heart to realize that no matter how old my kids get, they are never going to stop fighting over what the other one has. Right? It just doesn't go away. And, and these two guys, they come to Jesus, they want him to settle the dispute. And so instead of, you know, mom's not around or dad's not around, that's why there's an inheritance there. So they say, teacher, rabbi, will you help us out? Tell him to share. It's not fair. He's not sharing with me. And Jesus, who's a rabbi, and they often settle these kind of disputes, Jesus says, no, I'm not going to settle the dispute between you. Instead, he says, you know what you guys need to do? You need to watch out. You're being greedy. Life doesn't consist in an abundance of, a, of, of your possessions. And then he goes on and he tells them a story. Instead of giving them an answer directly, he tells them a story. He tells them a parable. Now, a parable is, is a made-up story that has a truth or a lesson to it. And so Jesus told them this story. He said, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. So he thought to himself, well, what should I do? I have no place to store all of my crops. Then he said, ha, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store up my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, And be merry. But God said to that man, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get to enjoy what you have prepared for yourself? Now, when you first hear that story, it's a story about greed, right? That's what Jesus said. It's a story about greed. But when I first hear that story, to be frank, I think, This doesn't sound like greed to me. It actually sounds a lot like retirement, right? I mean, here's this guy, he's a farmer, and, and being a farmer, that's not an easy living, and you know, you're, you're, you're battling against drought and pests and all other kinds of things, and, and this guy gets lucky, he has, a, he has a huge crop one year, an abundant crop, so everything's going really well for him. And so he thinks, well, what should I do? Well, well instead, of, instead of just spending it all, instead of going through it, I'm going I'm to save it, I'm going to store it up, I'm going to have a big nest egg for my future, and I can get out of the rat race, I can quit working, and I can just simply enjoy the rest of my life. Now, there's no private jet here for him, right? There's no beach house with a full six-car garage. No. This is a guy who simply says, hey, I've got this windfall in my life. I'm going to save it up. I'm going to store it up, and I'm going to use it to live on. It doesn't sound very greedy to me. And I think the problem is, if if you're the same and you're going, hey, that doesn't sound like greed to me, I think the problem is, is that when we think about greed, we, we think about this. We think about Wall Street, right? We think about those bankers on Wall Street. We think about the housing meltdown of, of 2008. We think about credit default swaps, and we think about subprime lenders, and, and we go, yeah, yeah, that's greed. That's the real picture of greed, and it, and it is. That's, 
That's a picture of greed. But I think what we don't realize is that there's a very wide spectrum on greed. On one end, you've got, you've got Wall Street maybe, but on the other end, you know what you have? You have the guy next to you at Costco. I mean, did you see what was in his cart? I mean, Costco. It's, it's a warehouse for the greedy, isn't it? I, mean, I love Costco. I love Costco. And, and maybe I love Costco because I'm greedy, but you know, like, really, do you need 40 rolls of paper towel all at once? Is, is there anything about that that you need? And of course we'd say, no, no, that, that, no, this is greedy. That's not greedy. No, actually, both evidence greed. And I think for us, we don't see the similarities. We see the differences, and yet the similarities are striking. In both cases, people are all about storing things up, seeing how much they can get. But more than that, more than that, a fundamental misunderstanding in our spirit that leads us to greed is this. In both examples on the spectrum, there is this belief that what we have is ultimately ours to be used for our purposes. And the truth is that what we have is not even ours. It's been entrusted to us by God. It's his stuff, and it's been entrusted to us for his purposes. Now, I know right there, I I just lost some of you. You're saying, no, 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 wait a minute. This isn't God's stuff. This is my stuff. See, I worked for this stuff. I paid my way through college. You know, I, I, I waited tables and got 8% tips. And, and I, you know, I, I started in a company and I worked my way up through hard work. I stayed later than everyone else. I worked harder than everyone else. And I got promoted. Where I put my neck on the line and I started a business and I invested everything. And I could have lost everything. And maybe I did. And, and then I bounced back and, and I built this business. And now it's successful. And, 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 and so you're saying that this, this is not my stuff? <laughs> Come on, this is my stuff. I worked for this stuff. So it's mine. Let me ask you, if, if you think that way, and you know, I, I think that way sometimes too, let me ask you this. Okay, that's fair enough. Maybe you worked hard. But let me ask you, who gave you the brain that's in your head that enables you to, uh, to go to school or to figure things out or to problem solve or to work hard? Who, who gave you the body that you have that is able body, that is able to actually do work? Because you know not everyone is born with a body like yours that is actually physically able to do work? Who determined that you were born into a family where, where, where someone even talked to you about college or, or hard work or taught you any of that stuff? Who determined that you were born in this country? Was that your choice? Do you do that for yourself? You decide to be born here? In a country where, where you can actually work hard and your hard work will translate to wealth? Because guess what? There are some places in the world where you can work hard and it doesn't translate to anything. Did you decide that for yourself? Are you going to take credit for that? Are you going to take credit for the fact that we live in a place where, where there isn't some warlord who at the end of the week travels around to all of our houses and takes our money from us as a tribute? I mean, who is it that, that protects you every day from a frivolous lawsuit or a medical disaster or some other form of uncontrollable catastrophe? So, so you think this stuff in your life is yours? I get it, I get it. I fall into the same thinking all the time because I work hard and, and I, 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 you know, I, I did a lot to get myself to where I am. But, but you know what? It's not all me. I can't claim credit for it. The reality is that the stuff that I have in my life is actually God's stuff. He entrusted me with this stuff. And he entrusted it to me not only to be used for my purposes, but ultimately for his purposes. Now, just to reassure you about something, you are one of God's purposes, and so one of the things that he entrusted resources to you for was, was to actually take care of yourself. He wants you to have a good life. He wants you to be full. 
He wants you to enjoy. He's not about putting you on some sort of austerity plan. And your kids and your grandkids, guess what? They're part of God's purposes for your life too. But get this, God's purposes are bigger than that. They're bigger than just taking care of you and yourself. God has an agenda for those resources that he's entrusted to you. And it's a big picture agenda. It's it's an agenda that covers needs all over the world. And see, that's the big point of all of this. Is, is that all of us are on this spectrum of greed somewhere because all of us tend to look at what, we, what we've been given, what we've been entrusted with, and we imagine that it's ours, we claim it as ours, we want to hold on to it as ours for our purposes. And so I know that just like you, just like the man in the story, I struggle with greed every day of my life. There's a voice inside of me that is constantly saying, no, 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 that, that's yours, that's yours rather than saying, that's God's. And so that's the guy in our story. He basically says, hey, I've worked hard. I've worked hard my whole life, and and here it is. Here's my reward, and so I'm going to save this up. I'm going to store it up, and I'm going to take life easy. And so he makes his plan. He says, I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger ones. I'm going to be able to enjoy the rest of my life. And and the the, uh, story says, the parable says, that on that very night, God says to him, you fool." Tonight, I'm going to demand your life from you. Then who's going to get to enjoy all that you've stored up for yourself? You see, this is irony, this this parable. That's what Jesus is doing here. This is irony. This is classic uh, black fly in your Chardonnay. Isn't it ironic? I really do think irony. See, here you have a guy who who thinks he's, he's, he's winning and he's storing it up and it's all for him and it's all about his plans and his purposes. And one day he's making plans for his future and in the next day, the next day, someone's planning a giant estate sale, right? And they're gonna be strangers thumbing through his underwear drawer. And his grandson is, is meanwhile out picking out his new sports car that he's gonna buy the day after grandpa's funeral is over. Right? All of that stuff that he amassed for himself and all the planning that he made and saying, yes, finally, I'm going to take care of me. All of that is gone. Do you see what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying the bottom line of this parable is this is foolishness. It's foolish to live life as if all of those resources are for you. It's, it's foolish. I, I love the way Jesus concludes this parable. Verse 21, he says, this is how it will be. So here's the story. He finishes the story. He looks back at the crowd. He looks at these two brothers fighting over family money. And he says, guys, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. So this is how it will be? If you're greedy... You're going to die tonight? I mean, sleep with one eye open? Is that what Jesus is saying? This is how it will be? God will demand your life from you if you're greedy? No, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I think what Jesus is saying is, this is how it will be. It will will be foolish of you. It It is foolishness to live life holding on to the things that you've been entrusted with as if they're for you. It's foolish to try to do that. Ultimately, if you live life in a greedy way, you will end up empty rather than full. You will end up discontent rather than content. You will end up with death rather than life, even metaphorical death. See, Jesus is saying, this is foolishness, guys. You think you're winning by living life this way, but you're not. It's foolishness. So this is how it will be with anyone 
with anyone who stores things up for themselves, but is not rich toward God. See, Jesus didn't necessarily say that saving is a bad thing. It's not. The but is, if you hold on to all of this stuff and you save all this stuff, and you're not rich toward God, you're foolish. See, what Jesus is talking about here is generosity. The bottom line here is generosity. Financial generosity will change your life. Financial generosity is a way to be more blessed, not less blessed. Greed is foolish, but generosity, on the other hand, it's wise. For starters, financial generosity leads to bigger faith and greater optimism. Do you know that? You want your faith to be bigger? You want to become a more optimistic person? I do. Especially in the world that we're living in today. Well, the way you do that, a key way that you do that is through generosity. Think about this. What is it that keeps us from being generous? Isn't it fear so often? It's fear. You know, what if I don't have enough? What if I run out? What if, what if the future isn't as prosperous as today? What if tomorrow everything crashes and, and now I don't have what I need? What if I have to be dependent on someone else someday? You know, what if I'm generous and then tomorrow I'm the one in need? That would be awful, right? I mean, most of us are terrified of that. I hear, hear parents say that all the time, you know, who are, who are like grandparents' age. Like, I never want to be a burden on my kids. As if that would be the worst thing in the world, to make your kids, who you took care of for 25, 35, 45 years, have to take care of you. Like, that would be the worst thing on earth, right? We're so afraid of those things. And see, I think it's no accident that right after Jesus concludes this parable, he goes right in, in Luke chapter 12, to another teaching. Do you know what the subject is? Worry. He rolls right out of greed and generosity, and he starts talking about worry. Why? Because fear is what keeps us from being generous. And here's what happens. The more we hold on to greed, the more we live a life of greed... We're essentially feeding into fear. And do you know what happens when we feed fear in our life? It's the same thing that happens when you feed a teenage boy. It grows. And grows and grows, right? When you feed into fear, it grows, and so you become more fearful. So the more you feed into fear, the more fearful you become. Jesus says, this is foolishness. Don't live that way. See, on the flip side, if you want to uncover contentment, Jesus says, the answer is to feed into optimism. Feed into faith. See, being financially generous is a, is a way to feed your heart with a belief, to feed your mind with a belief that there is enough. There is enough. That God is a good father. He's a provider. He's going to take care of me. I'm going to have enough tomorrow if I share today. And guess what? If I wake up tomorrow and I don't have enough, if I've lived a generous life, there will, be, there will be gobs of people who gather around me who will want to share with me. See, ultimately, generosity is a way of saying, my future is okay because God is for me, not against me. And, and he's a provider and he's going to take care of me. I don't have to be afraid about tomorrow. See, when we talk about feeding into something worthwhile, we, we've talked about these five uh, their tips for cultivating contentment from the Mayo Clinic. I mean, the Mayo Clinic has done research. They, they're doing research on cancer, and they're doing research on our lack of contentment because both are deadly for us as a people. 
And this is what they're finding, that if you feed into these five things, these five patterns or behavior, you will become a more contented. You will become a happier person. Look at number four, maintaining an optimistic outlook. See, that's essential for you if you want to ever get to contentment. You've got to get, let go of fear. You've got to quit feed, feeding fear in your life. And you have to begin feeding faith. You have to begin to act in accordance with faith. You have to begin to, to believe optimistically about the future, not because the future is secure, but because God is with you and for you and, and he is secure. You see, when you're generous, when you give stuff away, it leads to greater optimism in your life. You cannot be generous. You cannot be a generous person. You cannot give away those things that, that innately you want to hold on to. You cannot give those things away and remain a pessimist. It just doesn't work. Something in your heart will begin to change because you're feeding into faith and optimism instead of fear. And not only that, generosity, when you feed into that, it also leads to a more rewarding life. Now, I know all of us have our different calibrations of what a rewarding life looks like. For some of you, you imagine that a rewarding life is looking at those, those, those bank statements and seeing the balance just, you know, skyrocketing up. For some of you, you imagine that for you, a rewarding life is spending your sunset years, literally watching sunsets day after day on the beach. And I can tell you that, you know, that, that's great. We've all done it. But living life that way day after day, if that's all there is to your life, that's not truly a rewarding life. What is it that makes life rewarding? Sharing with others. Right? Having resources, it means almost nothing. Again, we talked, you know, a couple of weeks to a couple of months tops will a new possession make you happy. Having resources means almost nothing. Sharing them, sharing your resources, that's what's satisfying, right? That's why when you get a new car, what's the first thing you do? You want to show it off to everyone. You want to say, hey, drive it, borrow it, right? Sharing it is what's meaningful. And you know what's really rewarding? Not only when you get to share your resources, but what's really rewarding is when God lets you see, when he gives you a glimpse, and this doesn't happen all the time, but when it does happen, it's so rewarding when God gives you a glimpse at what your generosity is doing, the, the fruits that are coming from your generosity. There's nothing more rewarding in life. You know, uh, last month we had this inspired weekend where we simply shared stories of life change here at this church. And I'm still blown away at what God is doing here in our midst. Because I know it's, it's a work of God. It's a work of his favor. It's, it's not about us. It's about what he's doing here, what he's choosing to do here. And I'm so humbled by that. But I will tell you this, that as I, as I sat through that service three times that weekend, there, there was a special reward that I got out of that. And, it, and it's a reward that I got, not just because I'm a pastor here at this church. Really, it was a reward that, that I got because I know I'm a giver to this church. See, God gave me a window into saying, hey, all of that that you're sowing into what, what I'm doing here, everything that you're sowing in here, it's making a difference. And I'll tell you, after that weekend, my wife and I, we just, just you know, had, had these moments of looking at each other being like, yes. We are on the right track. This is what life is about, sowing into eternal life change. This, this is it. Who would want a, anything else in life if you could have this? See, if you're looking for what a truly rewarding life looks like, it's not to be found in, 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 in holding on. It's not to be found in the shopping cart at Costco, right? A truly rewarding life is found in sharing what you've been entrusted for God's purposes. So, so let's just pretend for a minute now. 
that, uh, that I've convinced you that maybe generosity is something that you want to have in your life. And if I haven't convinced you, just don't tell me. Don't burst my bubble. I, I want to believe that today. So the final question for us here today is, okay, so, so what? Now, now, how do I do this? How do I, I become more generous? And actually, the, the plan to become more generous is, is, pretty, is pretty simple. It starts with this. You have to make the decision to be generous. Now, again, this is so obvious, but this is what so many of us don't ever do. You have to make the decision that you want to be a generous person. Now, sitting here today, I mean, you don't have to make this decision for yourself. It is entirely up to you. But I'm telling you, if you want to become a more contented person, if you want a more fulfilling life, if you want greater faith, bigger optimism, if you want all of that stuff, then you've got to become a more generous person. But ultimately, that decision is yours. You know that, right? So it starts today with the decision that I want to be a generous person. And much like a decision for anything in life, whether it's, whether it's I want to start eating healthy, I want to start exercising, it's not going to happen. It's not just going to happen unless you make a decision. Now, when my wife and I were, were um, starting off in this generosity journey, and we're still not very far, just to be frank, we kind of moved from like zero on the generosity scale to one. That's where we are. And we intend to keep moving. That's our, that's our goal. Um, but when we were at zero, and we said, man, this is something we want in life, the first thing we did is we made a decision. We said, we're going to become generous people. Uh, and then I'll talk in a second about what the, what the next step is. But, but the thing that we decided to do is we said, this is my wife's crazy idea. She said, let's do a generous impulse challenge. And I'm like, okay, what is that? And she said, basically, how about this? For a whole week, anytime we have a generous impulse, we're going to follow it. I'm thinking, no way. We're going to be broke. We don't have the money for that. And she's like, no, 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 let's, let's just try it. Let's just try it. Let's just trust God and see. And, and we're just going to trust that God won't move us beyond our ability to be generous, but that he's going to prompt us and, and we're just going to be generous. Now, now we, we ended up, I'll just cut to the chase. Some of you are really nervous about this. Um, we didn't go broke that week. It was okay. But what we found is that there were these generous impulses that we got so good at ignoring in our life. And for a week, we stopped ignoring them. And we said, you know what? No, no, no. Maybe I, sh- maybe I should listen to that. Maybe that's something that you should do as well. Here's the caution for you. Don't trick yourself into believing that you can wait to do this until later. Until you have more money. Until you're more financially secure. Until you get that card paid off or until you get your kid put through school. No, no, no. See, as you wait, it only gets harder, doesn't it? More only makes it harder. So if, if today you're saying, I want to be a generous person, the best thing you can do is make a decision today that, yes, today I'm going to begin my journey and I'm starting at zero and maybe I only get to 0.5 on the scale, but I'm going to start moving on the scale. Make the decision today. Don't wait until later. The second thing is to make a plan to be generous. This is deep stuff, isn't it? <laughs> uh, make a plan. And you guys are like, we, we can't believe that you worked on this and put thought into this. But seriously, make a plan to be generous. Now, uh, the plan revolves around these three words in this order. Give, save, live. Your plan is going to be your plan. I can't tell you what your plan is. But what I can tell you is, is the way your plan should work is in this order. Give, save, live. You give, save, live. Say this with me. Give, save, live. Now, what's the reality of most of our lives? We live, save, give, right? We live exactly the opposite. And as a result, we never get to saving, right? We feel woefully undersaved for our future, and we, we ultimately never get to giving. When it comes to saving or giving, we've got crumbs, not even leftovers. We have crumbs that are left because we get our plan backwards or we have no 
plan. Now, quickly, I want, I want to show you this because to me, this is, this is powerful. Um, here in our church, we have about 1,500 household giving units that, have been, that are registered giving units here at our church. And this week, I had our accounting staff do some, uh, do some numbers for me. And I found that um, of that 1,500 household giving units, of those, we have people who give over $5,000 a year, and that, that equals 224 units. So 224 units give over $5,000 a year to this church. Now, again, uh, this doesn't include what they might give to other places, to the United Way, Easter Seals, you know, other, other churches, none of that stuff. It doesn't include it. It's only what they give to this church. 224 units. Out of that 224 units, we know that we have a portion of that who give over $10,000 a year to this church. And that number is 89. So again, 89 households are giving over $10,000 a year to this church. There are some households that give over $20,000 a year to this church. Of that 224, there's 21 who give uh, $20,000 a year to that church. Now, as you look at these stats, I know what you might be thinking. You might be thinking, well, gosh, those must be all the rich people. I can tell you, not necessarily. That a lot of people on this chart aren't rich by anyone's imagination. Or when I look at this chart, you know what I don't see? I don't, I don't see rich people. I don't see people who love this church more than you love this church. I don't see people who love Jesus more than you love Jesus. I don't see people who are better Christians than you are. Okay, maybe a little better. <laughs> no, you know what I see when I, when I see this chart? Is I see people, I see, this is all I see, this is all I see. I see people who have made a plan to be generous. And their plan includes us. Now again, maybe you made a plan to be generous and it doesn't include us. I'd love to talk to you about that too. But um, they've made a plan to be generous. That's all I see. They've made a plan and that plan must be something like give, save, Live. Because otherwise, you would never be able to give that sort of money. You would never be able to give $5,000 a year to anything accidentally without a plan. So my challenge to you is, is make a plan. Go to Dave Ramsey if you have to. Um, sign up for online giving. You know, online giving was a thing for me that I personally fought for a long time. I thought, no, 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 no. I want to put it in the basket every week. That's how I want to give my offering. I want to put it in the basket. You know what I discovered? Too many times by the end of the week, it was gone. I didn't have anything to put in the basket. It was like, oh, well, maybe, maybe not. I better check my account balance before I write this check. You don't want to bounce a check to church. That's just embarrassing. Or I'd forget my checkbook and I'd say, you know what, I'll double up next week. I'll catch up. And when next week came around, again, it was gone because I had lived before I decided to save or give. Now, here's, here's what I know about all of you. That you wish, if you are in your mid-30s or older, you wish that you could go back and you could teach your 22-year-old self this. Right? Grab that college student who's just leaving college, ready to do their first job, and you could say, make a plan, right? And the plan should be give, save, live. Because here's what you know. You've made a lot of money in those years, and it's gone. You don't even know where it went. You, you, made, you made, like, Papa John's richer and Taco Bell and, you know, gap, gap, gap shares went up in that time maybe for you. But, but you're like, where did that go? And you know that if you had a plan... You would be richer, your life would be more rewarding, you'd be sowing into more important things. So, so, so the thing is, again, you don't have to make this decision, but if you want to become a more generous person, it starts with the decision. You say, yes, I want to become more generous, I'm going to take steps, and then you have to have a plan, and the plan should look something like give, save, live. And then last, again, this is such a simple uh, outline for you, keep making the decision to be generous. Because here's what I discovered, that once you make the decision, it's not a done deal. There's that voice in the back of my mind all the time that says, hold on, hold on, hold on. 
Maybe there's not going to be enough. You know, I get, I get sought all the time for uh, opportunities to be generous because I'm in the nonprofit world, and so there's always a nonprofit who wants help. And, and so my wife and I, we, we, we get all kinds of opportunities to be generous. And uh, we have to be wise and we have to be strategic about those priorities, right? Because um, focus matters. But often as we're, we're uh, challenged to be generous with, with some new opportunity, that voice comes in our head and that voice that says, but wait a minute, wait a minute. What if, what if your kids need something and, and you give this money away or you commit to giving this money away? Or, or what if there's a more pressing need here at church? I mean, this is my first priority, so what if there's a more pressing need here at church? Maybe, maybe you shouldn't be generous with them because you just need to hold on to it and wait and see if there's, if there's a more pressing need. Or what if there's just not enough? You know, what if something goes crazy? What if, you know, what if, what if you've experienced some other financial misfortune? What if, what if, what if, what if? You know the answer to what if that we're finding in our lives? The answer to what if is God will provide. God will provide. Now, I know that sounds naive to some of you, but it's not. God will provide. How do I know? Because he already has. I love what Romans 8 says. It says, he who did not spare his own son, God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things? Can I summarize that for you? Do you know what it says? It says, if God gave you Jesus, if he bought your salvation, Is he going to leave you hanging in anything lesser in life? If he took care of the biggest need you have, the thing that you could not pay for or ever get for yourself, do you think he's going to leave you hanging in anything else that you really need? God will provide. And and so we tell ourselves that over and over and over again to drown out that voice that says, what if, what if, what if? We say, no, God will provide. He has In Jesus, he has in our past, and he will keep doing so. Besides, I don't want to be a fearful person. I want to be a content person. I want to be an optimistic person. And let me just close with this. Uh, This is interesting to me, that um, seven years ago this weekend, exactly seven years ago this weekend, I was in front of my church in Michigan, and I was announcing to them that I had decided to take a call, to take a position here in St. Louis, that I was leaving them to come here. It was exactly seven years ago this weekend. And as I was making that decision, there was a lot bound up in that decision. Some of you know uh, some of the story. My wife, she was in her last trimester of pregnancy. Um, We were living about 35 minutes from my wife's family, about 45 minutes from my family. It was the middle of 2008. And uh, we were in the middle of this, you know, whole financial crisis, a housing meltdown, and we were living in Detroit, Michigan, which was especially hard hit, one of the worst housing markets in the area, and we owned a a home. And for some dumb reason, seven years ago, you know, humanly speaking, we decided, no, we we think God is nudging us to move to St. Louis, and so we're going to do it. And I'll tell you that it was tough. For the first year, we were renting our, our place out in Michigan. We couldn't even sell it. We were so underwater. We were renting it out, and we were renting it out at a loss every month. So, you know, what we were taking in for rent, and if you've ever had a renter, it's not easy to even get rent out of a renter sometimes. So whatever we were getting for rent, we were then paying additional money to our mortgage company, and, and it was just every money we were losing, every month, rather, we were losing money. Um, I had basically taken a lateral position for not any real salary increase, a month after we moved here, we had another mouth to feed. We had more tuition to think about paying for school. Um, the pressure we experienced 
was real. It was one of the hardest financial times of our lives. And and I'm not going to lie to you, there were plenty of times during that year where we were wrestling and we thought, you know what, we are moving on this generosity journey and we just moved from zero and we're like at three quarters of a point now, you know, we're almost to one. But maybe right now, because things are so tough, we should just step it back. God would understand. I mean, because here we are, we're moving to this church because God told us to, we're serving him with our lives. He will understand if we, if we cut back in our money. And, and I believe that. I believe God would have understood. But what we came to the decision about in our own lives is that no, 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 no. God would have understood, but we want to keep moving to become more generous people. And there's only one way to do that. To face down our fear and to be generous anyway. Proverbs 11 says, one person gives freely. You know, one person is generous, and yet he gains even more, while another one withholds unduly, and he comes to poverty. See, I believe that's true, even though it makes no financial sense, that those who are generous will have more, and those who are greedy, just like we heard in our parable from Jesus, ultimately come to ruin. And so we decided that we were going to keep practicing generosity. And I'll tell you, it was such a hard decision. That first year here was so tough on us. And we had fights, and, and there, were, there were sleepless nights, and we didn't know how we were going to make it. But miraculously, within that first year, God started moving. And God did things that only God could do. And now I think like seven years later, we are in a totally different place. All of that loss has been erased, and God has added to our lives financially. But, but not only that, we've been able to keep moving on this generosity journey. And I'll tell you, our faith is bigger and a God who is good, who will provide. And our optimism is bigger. And we're living a more rewarding life. See, that's what I want for you. And again, this is your decision. This is your decision. But, but I'll tell you, from my perspective, Jesus told you from his perspective, I hope that's enough for you, that this is a worthy journey to embark on. If you can learn to leverage generosity, you will discover contentment and so much more. And so right now, what I want to invite you to do is I want you to stand up. Because we have a confession today. I think one of the greatest things you can do when you struggle with something is simply to confess it to God. And so we have a confession today that specifically focuses on our our, our need to hold on, our our greed, our our fear. And so I want you to to pray these words as your confession with me here today. Say these words with me.